Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Wonderful to hear that classic hymn, that strong expression of Christian faith in God, even when uh, the storm clouds and the billows roll. As we prepare to open God's word, let me lead you in a time of prayer. Bow with me and let me lead you in prayer. As you bow in prayer now, I'd ask you to take a moment and um, pray for your brothers and sisters, even your brothers and sisters right here in this room who have faced or who are facing sorrows and trials. Pray that God would strengthen them by his spirit, comfort them by the cross of Jesus Christ. And as we prepare to hear the word of God, would you ask God to remove from you a defensive kind of excuse-making spirit? Just say, Lord, give me a, a teachable, moldable mind and heart for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Our text today is James 1, verses 5 through 8. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. Our text this morning begins in verse 5, saying to everybody in a room like this, if any of you lacks wisdom, just take the first five words of verse 5. If any of you lacks, if any of you lacks, and that's the easy introduction to the sermon. If, a, if the sermon introduction is supposed to be like the opening moment in the talk where you try to convince everyone that what you're about to say for the next few minutes is worth listening to, then this is easy. Because if you're here this morning and you don't lack anything, and you know everything about everything, and you never face anything that you're not sure how you can get through, then I suppose I have no sermon for you this morning. But if you are anyone who lacks strength, wisdom, heart, endurance, help, hope, then this message from these verses will meet you. Verse 2 says, if any of you, so this means you, You can't read these verses and say, well, my reputation is too shady. This must not apply to me. 
You can't read these verses and say, well, my mind is too mushy. Well, my emotions are too all over the place. Well, my track record is too dodgy. Well, my self-discipline is too weak. This can't apply to me. It, It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, the context here for the wisdom is wisdom to count it all joy when you encounter various trials verse 2, and to have steadfastness, verses 3 and 4, when you encounter those trials. Pray for wisdom. Let him ask. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Pray for wisdom. So the first thing, one of the first things that verse 5 shows us, rolling right out of verses 2 through 4, is this. The weight of the troubles... And the push of the tribulations and all of that almost stifling pressure from anxiety and from trials and from tribulations is not, is not meant to push you down and inward. It's meant to push you up and outward. You'd think You'd think by the way that most of us react to trials that the weight of trials is meant to push you so far inward that you get sucked into your own belly button and you just get into this vortex of self-pity. Because that's how most of us operate most of the time when things are going badly. But what verse 5 says is all of the weight of the trial is meant to push you up and outward. It's meant to push you up to look at God. And I know that any given Sunday morning, there are not a few of you, not a few of you who come in weighted down by trials, confused, beat up, anxious, kind of with a a hurting spirit. And I, I don't mean to open up the word of God and just yell at you to have more faith and pray more and get a better attitude. But I do mean to open up the word of God and help you. And I cannot, I cannot help you by agreeing with everything you think and everything you do and just reassuring you that the way you react is right all the time. Because it isn't. And many times we react to trouble in troubling ways. And our reaction needs to be corrected. And we need to repent. And we really do need to trust God. And we really do need to pray more. And that's where this text is headed. That's why it says in verses 5 and 6, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I want to encourage you this morning to look to the Lord in the middle of difficult times. To ask him for help. Now, why wouldn't we ask God for help? Let me give you the two most obvious reasons. Why wouldn't you ask God for help? Number one, you don't think you need help. Number two, you don't think God could help. In other words, the first reason is you don't see your own need. 
The second very obvious reason is you don't see God's need-meeting capabilities. In other words, the first reason is you just say, oh, I'm good. And the second reason is you say, nope, God is not good. God wouldn't help me. Now, it's been a long time since I've heard one of you say out loud to me, a religious professional for crying out loud, God is not good. But does not our does not our refusal to ask impugn his generous character and his goodness and his benevolence and his fatherly, condescending graciousness? Sometimes, even in the tough times, sometimes we get stuck in this sort of self-defined insanity where we've turned the telescope around And God and his goodness seems so unreal and so far away. And my trouble and my trial seems so huge that it blocks out God himself. I think we sang it last week. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless. There's a word for you, needless. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Again, I don't mean to beat up on you when you're already beat down by the circumstances and say, you don't pray enough, you're, you're lousy. None of us feels 100% satisfied with our prayer life. But what I'm saying is our, our typical or your typical reaction may be making matters worse. And we can at least work on that if we can't fix all the circumstances that are difficult. We are so often wringing our hands in anxiety when we should be folding our hands in disciplined prayer, morning, noon, and evening. It is very common for us to scroll through our feed on our phone when we should just be folding our knees in prayer. So often we put our eyes on the things of the world, whatever it is, instead of closing our eyes to pray. And we wonder why we lack the peace And we wonder why the pain has no, there's no one to lift it up. I want to encourage you about the importance and the power of prayer from this text. And I, there's a lot about uh, spiritual warfare, actually pretty much everything about spiritual warfare that I don't understand. How could I? You don't, I don't see what's happening. But perhaps... Meditating on James 1, 5, 6, 7, and 8, perhaps this week, it opened my eyes to a little bit of an insight about the kind of the unseen warfare that's around us. And the thing that keeps coming back to me as I meditate on 5, 6, 7, and 8 of James 1 is that the devil, the enemy of our soul, the one we battle, the the devil, the, the evil one, cannot prevent God from giving That's the point. The devil cannot prevent God from giving. It says that God gives generously to all without reproach. Maybe the devil's only chance is to prevent us from asking. He can't stop God from answering. God answers prayer. But maybe he could stop us from asking. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask. Let him push through the human resistance. Let him push through even by the spirit and the blood of Christ, the demonic resistance. And let him 
Ask. Ask. Pray. Pray with faith. Pray with faith. That's what verse 5 is saying. In verse 6, pray with faith, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Pray with faith. And then the doubter is compared to the waves, and the doubter is compared to the double-minded man. John Bunyan's Mr. Facing Both Ways, the double-minded man. But the, the, the negative in 6 and 7 and 8 is meant, is meant as a foil to the positive, which is that command, pray with faith. Pray, pray in faith. Pray in faith. Let him ask in faith. The most important theme in James is his concern for spiritual integrity. That's why he says in basically in verse 8, being double-minded is like the worst thing that could happen. Spiritual wholeness. And godly people have integrity because James 1 verse 17, one of the only things that James says about God, one of the only categories of theology proper that James stops and highlights, James 1 17, is that God is one. Therefore, the godly woman, the godly man is one. She or he is not double-minded. The main characteristic of the godly person is that he or she is one. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Jesus picked that up in Matthew 22 when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Pray with faith. Pray in faith. I actually like how the ESV translates verse 6, but let him ask in faith. In represents also a little two-letter uh, word in the original Greek. It could, that preposition could be translated lots of different ways, but I like that it's translated, let him ask in faith. Because if the translators had said, let him ask with some faith, that would have been a poor translation. Faith is not an additive that we sprinkle on our asking. Faith is what we ask in Prayer is the essential, a faith is the essential attitude that makes up prayer. Faith is not added to prayer. Like prayer comes out of my heart kind of as a neutral and then somewhere along the way I sprinkle faith on it. Faith is what gives rise to prayer. How do we pray, how do we pray in faith? How do we pray in faith? I have just uh, four suggestions. How to pray in faith. The first suggestion, this is going to blow your mind. This is why you sent me to school to get another degree. The first suggestion to pray in faith is this. Pray. Pray. What I mean by that, maybe you're already guessing, is that if you don't feel like praying, pray anyway. If you don't feel that your faith is strong, pray anyway. If you feel that the tide of doubt is pulling you away from God, especially when you feel that the tide of doubt is pulling you away from God, that's when you need to pray. When you feel like you don't have enough faith to pray is when you need to pray the most. I suppose we could, we could sort of abstract it to a philosophical chicken and egg question, prayer and faith, prayer and faith, which is the cause, which is the effect, prayer and faith, which is the cause, which is the effect, and the answer is that both are both, or each is each. There must be some faith in order for you to pray, but the best way to strengthen your faith is to pray. It takes faith to even begin prayer, 
But prayer may be the best way to fan the flames even of a failing faith. The last thing you should do when you don't feel like praying is to quit praying. So the first suggestion for you in how to pray in faith is to pray. The second suggestion is to always pray in Jesus' name and know what that means. Always pray in Jesus' name and know, feel the weight of what that means. When I pray in Jesus' name, it almost means something about me before it means something about Jesus. When I pray in Jesus' name, it means I'm a sinner. And these words don't deserve to be heard. But I pray in Jesus' name because Jesus is the Savior of sinners like me. And through that glorious exchange of the cross, his sinlessness is now mine because my sin became his in that glorious exchange of substitutionary atoning work. It's what it means to pray in Jesus' name, and it's the best. It's the best. It's where all of my confidence comes from. Four suggestions. First, pray. Second, pray in Jesus' name. Third suggestion. It's not here in the text, but it's a suggestion that I have for how to live this out. Is pray with fasting. Pray with fasting. Maybe you don't think about fasting often in your spiritual life, but Jesus talks about fasting in the Gospels. Lots about fasting in the Old Testament. Prayer is special closeness to God. Fasting is special distance from the world. And you see how those go together, like two wings of a bird. Prayer is unique intimacy with God. And fasting is unique separation and refusal away from the world. With prayer, you grasp onto God with all of your might. By fasting, you let go of earthly solutions with all of your might, intentionally and sacrificially. Very uh, recently, I took a day uh, to fast and pray, and I had two prayer requests that I was the first half of the day, I worked on the first one, and the second half of the day, I worked on the second one, and then I, had, then I got to eat dinner that night. I prayed and fasted, and uh, on, on that very day, uh, there was a unique, unexpected, not generated by me, wonderful answer to the first thing that I was praying about. Can't deny it. And the second one, I, ha I haven't seen anything happen yet, but I believe that it's going on. I just don't see it yet. Prayer and fasting, it's so good to pray with fasting. And then the fourth suggestion is pray, uh, use a prayer guide. Use some helps to pray. I've got lots of them if you want some suggestions. Our office just made one. We, we distributed it last week. It's in relation to the uh, growing up and branching out thing, but that, that seven-day guide that uh, our team put together, I, I used it every day last week. I'm telling you, yesterday, 
it, was, it gave you a little assignment from John 15 verses 1 through 11 of listing out thanksgivings. And that, th- that turned my day around and prepared me to be in this pulpit at this moment. If you didn't get a chance to go through those seven days, uh, please do it this week. There are more copies of it out there. If you already did go through it, I'm, I'm planning on starting again with day one today. Go through it again. It's so good. But a lot of times we need help to push forward in prayer. And there are a lot of good helps available. Pray with faith. Pray in faith. That's the first thing that this text says. The second thing to understand from it is to pray without doubt. To pray without doubting. That's exactly what verse 6 says. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Pray without doubting. The wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. The prayers sway back and forth. The language here is not of of, uh, orderly waves coming in one after another. The language here emphasizes that they're not even breaking all in the same way. Some are going this way, some are going that way, and the whole thing is chaotic. The prayer, uh, the, 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 the prayer kind of oscillates and agitates between belief and unbelief, between fear and faith, between trust and distrust, this constant agitation between alternatives. That's why it says that the one who's like that, verse 8, is a double-minded man unstable in all of his ways. James uses this language again in James chapter 4, verse 4. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. And he says that God yearns over us jealously and that he gives us more grace. And then in James 4, verse 8, in James 4, verse 8, he says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. To be double-minded means to be half in the world and half in the kingdom of God. Half still loving my sin and half wanting to experience God's love. Or half in self-assurance that I'm okay and half relying on God, well, maybe I kind of need God's help. Half trusting God and half doubting God. And if we're double-minded, then the power of prayer is cut down If we're double-minded, the power of prayer is cut down. And if we're double-minded, the power of instability in our life is built up. It's like we unplug the power of God and we plug in the power of of insecure instability. That's why verse 8 says, you see that in verse 8? He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All his ways. Doubt does not contain itself. Unbelief does not contain itself. Well, I, I don't trust God about that, but everything else, I'm right there on God's side. That doesn't work. All of his ways. If we are not secure in God by faith, we are not secure in any of our ways. So what does James mean when he says pray without doubting? Well, James would agree with us that nobody's faith is perfect here in this world. He isn't saying that you have to be perfect and you never struggle with doubt and unbelief. I think what he's getting at is that what God wants 
as if to say what God responds to is this, this basic heart that says, God, God, I want you, and I want you with all of my heart. Psalm 119, verse 2, blessed are those who keep his word, who seek him with their whole heart. Psalm 119, verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Proverbs 4. You see what that's getting at the heart? What he's getting at is a worshipful trust in God. That's what he's getting at, a worshipful trust in God. A worshipful trust in God. A worshipful trust in God means my mind and my understanding are set on the excellency of God. A worshipful trust in God means my mind and my understanding are set on the excellency and glory of God. And a worshipful trust in God means my will and my affection is set on the goodness and the beauty of God. A worshipful trust in God means my will and my affection is set on the goodness and the beauty of God. In the old Augustinian language, my soul is ravished by the amiableness of God. And so all of my heart's affection is pitched upon all of the beauty of God, my Savior. A worshipful trust in God. A worshipful trust in God with a whole heart. God is not one option among many. Hear the words of that tall prophet of God, Elijah, up on Mount Carmel. How long will ye halt between two opinions? Like you're, like, you're, like you're buying a car and you go to the lot on Highway 11, but then you go to the lot up on Highway K and you tell the guy up on Highway K, well, uh, Phil down at the lot on Highway 11, he could give me this for this percentage. What can you do? How long will you go back and forth between the two? A worshipful trust in God with the whole heart means God is not one option among many. When we pray, we're not covering our bases and getting a second option. We're all in right here upon God and God alone. That's what it means to pray without doubting, to give the whole heart into the care of God with a worshipful, trusting attitude. That's what it means to pray with a whole heart. And now, as far as the little outline that I gave you, the the final point in the outline is actually almost the first point in the text. And I don't often like to do that. I like to follow the order of the text, but I think think there's even uh, expository warrant for switching it around like this. Because though this phrase in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach? I think that phrase really is the the load-bearing phrase of the whole passage. Everything else is either a foil to that or fuel to feed that. But that phrase is the reason why we pray. In other words, we pray with faith because God listens, God loves, and God gives. We pray without doubting because God listens, God loves, and God gives. The wonderful words, the reassuring words of verse 5, God, and then this is the definition of God, God is the one who gives generously to all without reproach. Two words, beloved, two words. God listens. A subject and a verb. The most simple sentence, two words. God listens. 
if we would take a deep breath and consider those two words, they should stagger us to the very soul. God listens. When somebody loves you, they listen to you. When a loved one quits listening to you, you start to doubt their love for you. Beloved, God listens, and God listens to us. This is the greatest news. God listens, and he listens to us. This is faith. I have no idea how I would send you out of here if my message was, oh, have great faith in your ability to be a good Christian. But my message to you is have faith because God listens and God has revealed himself as the one who listens graciously and condescendingly and generously. God listens. True prayer is sure of one thing. God listens. If you leave this place with doubt in your ability to pray rightly, I'm fine with that. You all, none of you has a PhD in prayer as far as I know. You may pray wrongly. If you leave this place with doubt in your own strength to persevere, well, that's probably more healthy than not. But you cannot leave this place with doubt in the one truth that God listens. Prayer is sure of God hearing. We are confident not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ. God listens. Another two-word sentence, God gives. Another two-word sentence, God loves. That's really the same sentence. For God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is the visible expression of God's love. God gives because God loves God's love is experienced by us as God's giving. Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, for God gives generously. God gives so generously that he did not spare his only son. And if God has given his only son, then how can we doubt that God will now give us something as small as wisdom, something as small as perseverance, something as small as more faith when we ask for it? God listens, God loves, and God's give, God gives. There are no earthly limitations to God's giving because it says here that God gives to all. There are no heavenly limitations on God's giving because God's giving is generous as indexed to the generosity that, it, that bubbles out of the heart of God. God gives generously. If your mind is... Like mine, what you already thought about biblically is that prodigal son who said, ah, maybe if I turn around and slink in the back door, maybe God, maybe my dad will give me three square meals and a cot if I'm lucky, a thin blanket. And he comes home. And what, is, what, what does his dad give and give and give and give? Do you believe that God gives? 
What is your view of God? Let me tell you a little story. There was a very uh, poor old man in his apartment. And he was so poor that he knew he didn't have the money for the rent. And he heard a knocking on the door. And he is certain that it's the landlord who's come to collect the rent. And so this poor old man sits as still as he can in his chair, almost not breathing, and he is not going to answer the door because that knocking is the landlord asking for the rent. The knocking won't go away, and it won't go away, and it won't go away. So as quiet as a mouse, the poor old man just peeks through the draperies, and he sees at the door, it's not a landlord. It's a deacon from the church. And so he opens the door and the deacon says, well, if you were here, why, why, why didn't you open the door? The poor old man said, well, I thought you were the landlord coming to, to collect the rent. The deacon says, here's the rent. Your fellow church members collected it and they want you to have it. Doubt, double-minded doubt, sees God as a greedy landlord. Faith sees God as a giver. Unbelief sees God as a taker. Faith sees God as a generous giver. This is what I'm trying to get at. I'm not just trying to yell at you this morning that you need to pray more, although it is not above me or below me to yell at you that you need to pray more. That's not the whole point. The point is... Uh, you're never going to pray more if you think God is a greedy landlord. And I could yell at you all I want and it wouldn't, it wouldn't amount to anything but frustration on both parties. But if you could see that God is a generous giver, do you see God? That he gives generously to all without reproach. What does that mean, that he gives without reproach? I like the old KJV, God giveth generously and upbraideth not. You have a friend or a family member who's wealthier than you are and they helped you out with a couple hundred dollars. Then they helped you out with $800. Then they helped you out with $2,000. And now you're asking them again. And you're afraid that they're going to upbraid you and uh, reproach you by simply saying, well, what about the last 2000 I gave you? This text actually seems to be saying that God's deal is that he'll never do that. He gives generously without reproach. <laughs> do you really think God's going to say, yeah, you confessed that sin a thousand times already. That thousand and first one, that's when the lightning bolt comes. God never tells us that we come to him for wisdom, for forgiveness, for grace, for love too often and too much. Actually, the contrary. Actually, the contrary. I believe, I believe that like the whole point of so many stories in the Bible is to employ this argument. God says, I have, I have been so faithful in the past that this proves I will be faithful in the future, which is the opposite of upbraiding us for our faithlessness. God doesn't argue, you've already asked me for too much, I'm not going to give. God's argument is the other way around. The old Book of Common Prayer, which, is, which I like, it says, it says somewhere in it that the congregation is to pray to God. Look not 
upon our misusings of thy grace yesterday, but oh, give us grace today. And this text, it's as if this text is saying, God is okay with that. Not that he wants us to misuse his grace, of course not. His design is that we'll walk in holiness. But his design is not that when we blow it, that's it. And there's no more grace for us. God gives and he gives and he gives. God's generosity is indexed not to what we deserve, but to what God designs. That's great news. You have a conversation about that at lunch today, I guarantee you it will be a better conversation than any other conversation that you're planning to have. God's generosity is indexed, not to what we deserve, but to what he designs. And so James' point is not just to holler at us, to have more faith and pray more. Though I'm sure if James were here, he would be more than happy to holler at people like you. But James' desire is to shine a spotlight on God and his faithful goodness and his faithful generosity. And that is what evaporates doubt. Not the strength of human faith, but the power of divine generosity set upon us before the world began. Do you see God as a generous giver and will you ask him for all of the wisdom that you need? I have every confidence that our God is the one and only God who will give you all that you need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hear your children as they pray. Father, forgive us for expecting too little. Father, remove from us our self-imposed limitations and doubts. And oh, great God, give to us to see your generosity, your goodness, your grace. And hear your children as they pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.